welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode. We have Ian Gray back on the show. It's been two weeks. If you remember now, we're flip-flopping. So every Tuesday, we're either going to have Ian or Brad on the show, get a better cadence for you guys. But today, we're going to be talking about Upwork. If you listen to the show we just did with Chris from Growth to Value on Fiverr, this is the other big freelance marketplace out there. So we're going to go through it, compare it to Fiverr, talk about the industry, all that good stuff. That's a perfect segue to... Potential multi-baggers. Yes, that is our presenting sponsor for Not So Deep Dive episodes right now. And it is a service on Seeking Alpha and the aim of potential multi-baggers, which is run by Chris uh, from Growth to Value. That's his pseudonym. And if you want to listen to him, yes, go back and listen to that Fiverr episode. Uh, but the aim of potential multi-baggers is to find stocks that can go up 10x over the next 10 years or about 26% per year. They've found stocks like Cloudflare, C-Limited, Okta, Square, Livongo, stuff like that. Really good track record. Uh, I forget the exact number and it's changed by now, but they've crushed like the market over the last... Yeah, like it's probably changed since he sent that, but yes. Very, very strong track record. Chris invests in all the picks himself and he alerts you when he buys and does what? They give constant updates and all that stuff. So he is there together with you in the same boat. And that makes a huge difference between someone that just is leaving you out to dry. If that sounds like something that you'd want to sign up for, um, if it's a service you're looking for, if you're more growth oriented, if you you know like something that's a higher higher risk, higher reward type of deal, stuff like that. If you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value, Google it, or go to at From Value on Twitter. All right, let's get to Upwork. I want to ask. Well, before Ian, that, before that. Oh, talk 7investing too. Yeah. yeah, we should just mention 7investing. Uh, they had some recent recs come out. I guess it would have been a while ago since uh, at the date that you guys are listening to this. But I liked this month a lot. Yeah, great uh, write-ups as always. Great research reports. Use our link to get ten. Use our link code CCM to get ten dollars off in the yeah. show notes. Check it out. That message us if you want to get that discount and you're confused or anything. But I have to ask for getting to Upwork now. Um, have you guys heard of the company? Have you followed the stock at all before we started looking at this before the show, Ian? Uh, I've heard of the company, not followed the stock super closely, kind of kept a little bit of an eye on the, the general market, but but not Upwork specifically. Okay, Ryan? Yeah, I've used the platform and so I'm familiar with how it works. Um, and I'll talk about that in my anecdotal evidence, but uh, I'll get right into what it is. Upwork is the world's largest work marketplace measured by basically payment volume. It's They call it GSV, which is gross services volume. Um, and so they are essentially just connecting freelancers or independent talent with uh, business opportunities. And that can be enterprise companies that have very specific things they need to get done, or it could be smaller companies. It could really be anybody. And so the independent talent on the platform, that is comprised of like individuals, freelancers, or even in some cases, agencies uh, that are kind of like shelling these out to different employees. 
Uh, and then the, the work type really ranges. So if you're a client, which is what Upwork calls their customers, um, uh, and customers, I mean businesses. So if you're a client with Upwork and you're looking to find someone in a, to fit a particular role, you can sort by category. So you could go sales, marketing, graphic design, customer service, software development, stuff like that. There's tons of categories that you can pick from. You can pick a freelancer, you can reach out to them about a role, or on the flip side, you can post like a job listing. I've gotten emails for this as I am an a, a independent contractor on Upwork. Uh, and those emails can get sent out to different uh, potential employees for that job. And then it's kind of just matching opportunities to independent talent. That's the basics of it. I hope that kind of covers it generally. And then uh, Upwork beyond that, they also facilitate like the contracts. So you can like sign contracts with the companies or uh, the role or the opportunity they're going for, and they can facilitate the payments. Um, so uh, that's where they make their money. When a business or a client pays the freelancer, they take a cut. Upwork takes a cut of that, and that's the majority of their revenue. I think it's 13, almost 13.5%. Yeah, something like that. That's their take rate. But then they also have a managed services part of their business, which is smaller. Uh, I think it's only like... It's not, say, it's, it's not less really, than 10% of revenue. Yeah, it's not it's not very important yeah, for the business. But that's, I think, just for bigger companies. Um, and that's a little more cost intensive. But a little bit about uh, the history. Upwork was formed out of a merger between Elance and Odesk, which both had their own sort of freelance communities prior to coming together. So I'll go through the history of each of those. Elance was founded in 1998 by an MIT grad, Biru Sheth, and a Wall Street veteran, Srini Anumalu. Sorry if I'm butchering that. Uh, and they started it in an apartment in Jersey City, but shortly after they moved to Silicon Valley and their first product was the Elance Small Business Marketplace. Odesk, on the other hand, was founded in 2003 by two friends that have Greek names. I'm not going to try to pronounce them. Uh, if you would like to look up their story, feel free to do it. It's called Odesk, uh, but I just simply can't pronounce the names. And then one of them was in Greece and one of them was in the US. So they kind of worked remotely together and they basically started as a staffing firm. And then the merger was announced in late 2013 and the name was changed in 2015. So the combined company, uh, the, the combination was basically started in 2014 and they went public in 2018. They hired their CEO or their now CEO last year uh, in early 2020, Hayden Brown, but I'll let uh, Ian talk about that a little more later. Do you want to hit industry and competition? Yeah, let's hit this quick. It'll be simple. Um, I'm seeing a lot of numbers on this, but something around the middle would be expecting about $9 billion in expected spending on freelance uh, by 2027. Um, and that would be the freelance marketplaces. So stuff like Upwork, um, and it's expected to grow at about 15% from now until then. So the industry researchers, other investors, stuff like that are expecting this industry as a whole to grow at a pretty rapid rate. Upwork claims about a $1.3 trillion TAM, but I'm not really so sure about that. Uh, seems a bit large. I kind of referenced that $10 billion number. Uh, biggest competitor is Fiverr. I will, again, listen to that show we just did with Chris or from Growth to Value to get an overview of them. Very similar business, but slight differences in how they do things. There are also a lot of smaller competitors. There's TaskRabbit, Catalent, Guru.com, Hubstaff, Hubstaff Talent. TaskRabbit is private, I believe, and their annual revenue is estimated to be about $84 million, so pretty sizable. Uh, we'll get into the earnings here later compared to what Upwork is doing. But a lot of these are very small. It's one of those industries 
where there's a ton of startups that say, you know, I could start up one of these things. We'll get it going. You can get a lot of tiny ones, but getting the momentum to become bigger uh, seems to be a lot difficult. And maybe that's what we'll discuss later if Upwork or Fiverr or stuff like this has any competitive advantages. But let's move on to management. Uh, Ian, what did you find for Upwork? Yep, like Ryan was mentioning, Hayden Brown is the president and CEO. She's been with the been a part of this company for about 10 years in various roles, mostly related to product. And she was most recently the chief marketing and product officer before transitioning to CEO in January of 2020. Um, she does own quite a bit of stock. It's not like a big ownership percentage of the company. Um, but it's a it's a sizable amount. I think it's like about twenty eight million dollars or something like that. So it's it's meaningful to her, I would assume. Um, the other ownership is the insiders. Technically, on about nine percent of the company, but I do insiders in air quotes because most of them are um, independent directors. They're not actually members of the management team. The CFO, at least as far as I could tell, owns very little stock, um, and uh, so. Most of the most of the insider ownership is from uh, the independent chairman of the board and then two other independent directors. The independent chairman of the board actually has a little bit of an interesting history. He used to he was like the COO at Ticketmaster, um, and then also he's currently a member on the board of directors of Social Capital. So he's kind of been around the the tech scene a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's he's the largest individual shareholder currently. Yeah, they got a weird ownership thing, the founders are long gone, kind of, and I don't know. I guess Hayden has done quite a good job going right at the start of the pandemic. It seems like Ryan will get into it. They're accelerating revenue. Uh, I don't know. Seems like she's done a pretty good job. Was that the start of the pandemic? January 2020, yeah. Yeah, right before. Yeah, right before it started. And she's she's super articulate. She um, explains things well, and she seems to have a good grasp of the market from the interviews I've watched with her and the um, and then the conference calls. She just seems like she really understands the market well. And I I learned something listening to her, um, which is always good when you're listening to a CEO. I think to to actually learn something from what they're saying, and it's not just a bunch of gobbledygook. Yeah, I mean, she definitely has to have a pretty good grasp for the industry since she's kind of watched it evolve since 2011. I think that's when she first uh, got start, started working with Upwork. So uh, do you want to hit valuation? Yeah, market cap $5.9 billion, ticker UPWK. Interestingly, Fiverr, uh, it's inter- It's fun to compare the valuation that Fiverr gets versus Upwork. Um, there's a whole type of things, you know, Fiverr has the higher take rates, stuff like that. Uh, but Upwork's price to sales is 12 based on the midpoint of their forward guidance uh, for 2021. So we're kind of, you know, that's not too far away. It's only a few months away now. Uh, price to gross profit is 16.6 based on a 72% gross margin, which is right around where I would expect them to have for this full fiscal year. That's pretty much all I look at right now. Um, they tout all their adjusted EBITDA and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you can use that, I think, uh, but I usually just ignore it and they're kind of break even-ish on cash burn. But one big thing I look at is share count. It's climbing at a pretty quick rate. I would probably factor in three to 4% annual growth uh, to be conservative. In share count. In share count, yes. Uh, They granted 5.7 million RSUs in 2020. That probably was due to the CEO coming on. I don't know if that will continue, but it's hard to tell. And if it does continue, that's bad for shareholders. Uh, that's compared to about 127 million current shares outstanding. That's a lot. Um, 
I don't know how to, you know, think about that. It's just a headwind <laughs> that people have to uh, consider. You know, it's going to be heavy. Uh, all right, Ryan, you want to talk earnings? Yeah. So their second quarter gross services volume, which is, as I mentioned, the money just being transacted on their platform was up 50% year over year to $876 million for the quarter. Um, and I'll talk about sort of how that translates to take rate and so forth. But uh, their core clients, which is the clients that have spent at least $5,000 in aggregate, uh, on the on their marketplace and have transacted in the last 12 months grew by 21% year over year to 162,000. Those clients had a spend retention rate of 114%. So they are spending more. Not only are they growing their uh, clients, but they're also uh, growing more within their client base. Um, and then active clients, which is just clients that have had a transaction in the last 12 months was up 27% uh, to 725,000. I think that's a decent measure to track because if the platform is really sticky, hopefully those businesses will uh, migrate to core clients over time. Um, and then they had $124 million in revenue for the second quarter. That's up 42% year over year, which is trending a little bit lower than GSV. And so for full year context, they've generated uh, $441 million in revenue in the last 12 months. Their overall take rate did decline year over year uh, and gross margin, which I would imagine would kind of fall in line with, I guess, well, I guess no, it wouldn't, but um, it, it has increased since the year before. It's at about 73%, up from 71% a year ago. And they are unprofitable on a gap basis. They had 17 million in free cash flow over the last 12 months. But if you add back stock based compensation, which is 10% of revenue for the first half of 2021, oh, gosh, that's, cash, that's a bad number. Yeah, their cash flow is negative. I think. And this is more speculation on my part. Uh, some of that is attributable, hopefully, uh, a sizable portion of that is attributable to the new CEO. Yes, hopefully. Uh, and hopefully. they're in sort of a disadvantaged position of there's not a lot of founders. I don't think there's any founders still involved with the company. And so any leadership that you get in, you either have to pay them really well in cash or you have to find a way to incentivize them with stock. Um, which yep. is going to lead to dilution. Yeah, for sure. All right. Ian, you want to wrap up with balance sheet? Yeah, pretty simple balance sheet here. They've got cash of $172 million. That's cash and short-term investments. And they've only got about $30 million in debt and leases. Most of that is leases. They've got about $6 million in debt, $7 million in debt. Um, it's all short-term, pretty much uh, low interest rate debt. You know, I think it's prime plus 0.25%. So no concern there at all. Very strong balance sheet. Um, they do have a sizable amount of goodwill on the balance sheet. I want to say it's about 120 million, but that's been steady for the entire history of their um, of them as a public company. And so it's never that number's never changed. They're, that it's basically it, I wouldn't expect that number to get written down anytime. And this business doesn't really care about <laughs> write downs anyway. So um, yeah. not a concern. Strong balance sheet and um, should have wanna- plenty of cash to to. To grow. Right. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the, that escrow thing that people might look at, you know, that funds payable, how that just matches up one-to-one on assets to liabilities? Or, or do you remember, I, maybe you maybe you didn't see that, but uh, th- there's like a big number of th- just, just the cash they're holding for that they're going to pay out. You're going to oh. see that. That's not actually cash they have. It just matches up one-to-one assets to liability. I'd honestly just 
X that out. Pretend it's not even there. Oh, it's just like holding it between the business and the freelancer. Just the time before that, that they actually pay yeah. the freelancer. I, um, I'll, I'll add some color on the take rate because I forgot to mention it, but the overall take rate uh, in Q2 2020 was 15%. In Q2 2021, it was 14.2%. However, it's kind of important to uh, segregate or uh, move out the managed services take rate. So the marketplace take rate also declined from 13.7% to 13.2%. So not, not necessarily a great sign uh, there. No. Yeah. Uh, you can't have that fall forever. All right. Let's, um, let's have that break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Pluralsight, a tech workforce development company, provides the solutions high-performing engineering teams need to tackle today's biggest challenges. Whether it's building the skills individuals and teams need to tackle mission-critical projects, driving cloud transformation, or helping software teams to ship reliable, scalable, and secure code. Harness the collective power of hindsight, foresight, and insight with Pluralsight at Pluralsight.com vision. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Let's hit anecdotal evidence. Ian, do you have anything for us? Not really. I'll pass this one to you guys. All right, Ryan. Yeah, I, I use them. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we, Brett and I both uh, write some articles for The Motley Fool, uh, and they use Upwork to facilitate those transactions. Um, and that, I, think I guess that whole relationship. On, yeah, I think they have a relationship, but they, they're using that payroll service. Um, that's one of their kind of, that's one of their, their biggest non of the core products is companies the size of like The Motley Fool who may have, I don't know, there's got to be dozens of us under that program. They basically use it as a payroll facilitator, which can be very nice to manage someone that's going to be a long-term contractor for you. Yeah. And that gets, this is actually sort of relevant to my, my thinking with the company is that this was a job offer that well, it was, was outside. sourced outside yeah. Yeah. of the platform, but it's facilitated through the platform. So that, just, that's the payroll thing. It's kind of a unique one. And yeah. I don't, that doesn't mean it pertains to everyone. That's not maybe all the use cases, but I imagine that happens with a lot of enterprise customers where you can find the job listings elsewhere. And then this is just used to sort of intermediate that. Yeah. I'm not sure how it's, I, I think they just don't give it out. How, what percentage of that is, you know, their, their clients, but you can tell how embedded it gets into the organization. If someone like, again, I'm going to use the Molly fool, but just think of that about it as X large company. If they wanted to switch, it would be very annoying for all parties involved. Um, 
you just don't, there's no reason for them to switch unless there's just a way better compelling offer. So I guess that gets into something of like the competitive advantage remote we would talk about later. Uh, but at first, let's hit up future growth opportunities. Ian, what do you have for us? One of the main things that the management team has highlighted is growing their marketing spend and improving their messaging to really open up the market and show how many long-term complex projects can be handled through Upwork and through freelancers rather than just what you typically think of as gig work um, and stuff that's more akin to the type of stuff that people talk about on Fiverr. It's already 85% of the business, this long-term complex, these long-term complex projects, but they want to transition even further towards that. And they, they think there's a lot of growth opportunities there. And even that's, that's how they start getting to some of those huge TAM numbers that, that <laughs> you mentioned earlier, Brett. But I think that's, that's going to be a big key for them. Yeah, they did talk about the transition to um, hopefully at their scale now they want to do more TV cam- campaigns, more broad campaigns across the U.S. Because a lot of the time with these things, people are unaware of what kind of work you can get on there. A lot of businesses might just throw it aside and be like, eh, you know, that's just for someone who wants a logo when you can actually do really, you know, important work there. But uh, Ryan, what do you have? For yeah, the well, this one uh, before I get to mine. They, when I look at the balance sheet, they are losing money. Uh, I guess not on a cash flow basis, but if you add back stock based compensation, they're losing money. And cash flow per share is going nowhere. They don't have like a huge cash balance. So my thought would be if they're going to up that marketing spend, like they might as well. Well, no, they actually, sorry, they just raised a convertible note. So it's going to be higher. Okay. I was going to say raise. Uh, race capital somehow. Yeah, um, I'll pull that up to get a reference, but yeah, sorry, keep going. Anyway, uh, other than that, uh, the big future growth opportunity for me is Project Catalog. So this is the big project they've been working on uh, that competes almost directly with Fiber, and so uh, their def or their way to a way of explaining it in the annual report was it offers a browse and buy experience where freelancers post complete work offerings that clients can purchase on the spot. Um, now, initially, I thought this would have been kind of catered more towards smaller businesses uh, or smaller clients, and maybe it still is, but management on the most recent conference call said the use cases are really sort of ranging um, and it's kind of having positive effects throughout the rest of the business. They're finding some existing customers have moved on to the project catalog and used it, whereas project catalog has also accounted for 10% of new clients that are moving into other areas as well. So just seems like an important thing to add. Um, and if they're going to compete with Fiverr and kind of try to boost that whole discovery feature of their platform, this is a big step in the right direction. Yeah, it could be a big step on how they accelerate that revenue too. Um, although it also might not have been, it's been correlation. It, it did. Well, yeah, it did not. Um, and they said it's not going to have a meaningful contribution for a while. Um, but it's the right step operationally, even though it won't have any big financial impact. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, just for that, uh, the raise, they closed $575 million of 0.25% convertible notes due 2026. So they raised some convertibles. If you don't know what those are, that just means they're raising debt that can convert into stock at a certain price. I would look at all the details to get all the strike prices and stuff like that. But they raised $575 million that will be on their balance sheet. Ian, you have something? Yep, just a little more depth on that. The the number that should be added to the balance sheet will be about five hundred and ten million dollars after they they do a couple of other transactions related to that to that raise, and then the conversion price on it is at about forty percent premium to the current share price, and so a decent premium. It's not like sometimes you see these convertible notes and it's like hardly any premium at all, and so um, they're basically just giving them stock 
today. And that's not quite what this is. They, they have to, <laughs> they're paying a little bit of a premium, but anyways, back to you, Brett. Yeah, I'll have my future growth opportunity. And if you see on the press release, they talk about it being the Budweiser limited can for Labor Day, which I thought was funny, but that's not really what their product is. They're trying to do that to highlight this new thing called Upwork Collab. It's another thing to serve their freelancers. Um, they they call it like exciting brands, which I don't know, feels a bit as weird. I, it, I don't know. It feels a bit cringy to me, but the uh, it is important to get like, as serve your freelancers on the marketplace is important to make them or get them work, find them an opportunity they feel fulfilled about, you know, and this could be a great factor to doing that, maybe trying to differentiate themselves versus their competitors. I, I don't know. It seems fine. It's kind of like, I it's a quite, bit like Airbnb where they're trying to serve the host first. You know what I mean? If you guys understand that. I didn't analogy. quite understand what this was. So they're partnering, they're, they're connecting the freelancers with big brands that they'd want to work with. So okay. the first one was working on Budweiser's Labor Day label, which they highlighted, which I thought was funny. They're like Upwork and Budweiser. Oh, so <laughs> like, Budweiser's kind of just, or let's that, say. That was the first project that the freelancers got to do. Okay. And they're going to do more like that. So like if say you're part of your portfolio, it could be like, hey, look, I worked on the Budweiser Labor Day can. That's a lot cooler, you know, in some people's eyes, potentially. Okay. Uh, um, highlights and lowlights, Ian? Yeah. For me, the highlight, I think, is the market. Um, you know, they, you threw out that $1.3 trillion number. And they get to that by saying, you know, here's all of the freelancers we think there are in the world. And this is the, and then they multiply that number by how much um, gross services volume each of the freelancers on their platform does. And so they get to this huge, you know, $1.3 trillion number. I don't know, like, I don't think that's true, but I think the market is moving in this direction. So that's, it's pretty interesting to me from that standpoint. Yeah, I also think that the strategy, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I also think the strategy is interesting, um, focused on these business accounts um, rather than more of kind of the gig type work. And then that just seems to be more, more friendly for the freelancers um, in a lot of ways. A couple of lowlights for me, uh, the gross margin is lower than Fiverr. And I think that's due to a couple of these other products that um, Upwork has. And this is a small lowlight, but it's not a founder CEO. Um, she's been with the company for a long time though. And so that's kind of a I don't even want to call it a low light. It's kind of a mid light. It's something to be aware of that it's not a founder CEO, but she, in some ways, she seems to act a little bit like a founder CEO. Just so something to keep an eye on. An anecdote. Um, yeah. The, uh... I know it's hard to say whether that's like necessarily a low light because she's been there for so long, but uh, I'll hit mine. The highlights for me, I think we're all going to have the same ones. I, I think there's clearly industry tailwinds here. I think, uh, sort of freelancers and remote work and distributed work of this type is going to be larger in the future. I don't think that's a very bold take on my part. Um, I also like the fact that they're targeting enterprise customers. Um, and part of that is because of my lowlights, which is the declining take rate. And I think part of that is- Well, they said their take rate goes down when your spend goes above, if you hit 10,000 in annual spend and you're a recurring customer. So that graduation almost means kind of a good thing because that means your your customers are sticking around for longer, but it's, I mean, it's, it's not that great. Yeah, but I also think there's an element to the 
we talked about this with Chris, where you can charge a higher take rate if you are a big part of the discovery process. If you're driving a whole lot of value for that, I'm not sure that's where their value is. I like them as a facilitator between businesses and an independent talent. Um, but Fiverr is winning in discovery, I think. Well, there's a reason that Fiverr has a higher take rate, double the take rate and growing faster. There's got to be a reason for that. That's not for. That's not just a coincidence. Well, it, it's, not, agreeing, it's not I'm going agreeing. faster. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Well, I thought they were going at 80%, 60%. Not, they are going faster on a percentage basis, not nominally. Not nominally, sure, sure. Um, but I, I think just being a facilitator, though that can be a fine business and it might be hard to switch off of Upwork, is not as defensible as uh, a platform where they're really enabling discovery. Yeah. And do you mean that from the freelancer side where they're not locked in as hard? Yeah. That makes sense. There's not as much reason for the freelancers to be there as somewhere where they can, where they're constantly finding good jobs. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong in that. Yeah, that, I think that makes sense. Um, I'll have mine. I think like that network effect or like the internet marketplace type stuff is strong here. It makes sense. I mean, someone like even TaskRabbit size and especially the ones that are smaller have no chance of competing with Upwork. There's like no reason I'm going to someone else instead of Upwork or Fiverr. And that advantage only grows um, as the businesses continues to grow. Grow good margins. Um, I feel like this will be a market with only a few companies. I don't know why I feel like that, but I just I think from the customer's perspective, you don't want to manage these freelancers across ten different places. If no, I'm someone, yeah, I'm like, all right, I want to do. I got Fiverr and Upwork. That's it. They provide my work and. Honestly, that that I mean that gives Upwork a huge advantage over the long run. Lowlights, I have two horrendous stock comp. I mean, come on. <laughs> and uh, why is Fiverr growing faster percentage wise? Um, that's something that kind of pops into my mind right away. Your other ones you guys had, I agree with too. Let's move into bull case. Ian, what do you think has to go right for the stock to do well? So I think for the bull case, long term bull case for Upwork. Um, what happens is that it's able to fill the gap left by the current labor shortage. And as people kind of ponder whether to continue working or retire early or do more freelance work, I think that um, they have an opportunity to help companies realize the value that Upwork is providing and that the freelance kind of, I don't even know if this is a term, but the freelance revolution actually becomes a bigger paradigm shift than COVID was, that it's, I, that I like it's that this. Term. It's a revolution. We should talk to the, the the marketing team over there. They can talk about it. We'll put that in the ad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyways, I think that that's an opportunity for them. That is that not just COVID, but also this current labor shortage that people can realize, wow, freelance work really fills that gap well. And it works well for both the companies and for the, for the workers in this situation. So I think that's the bull case for me. Yeah, uh, I think, I think mine's the same. If they have sort of a, sticky position in this revolution, uh, if we will. Um, I mean, which, I just think about it. Molly Fool is not leaving them. Right. They're not going to, you know, well, I don't want to say anything. The Molly Fool could leave them, but just use that as an example. It would be a hassle. Yeah. It, if they wanted to. On both sides. Yes, yes. Which gets to sort of my bull case, which is the the, the network effects are strong here. Um, freelancers want to be where the most job listings are. Uh, and then, and right now, this is the world's largest work marketplace measured by GSV. So, uh, and then on the flip side, 
clients want to be where the most talent is. So that's sort of an advantage just right there. Um, And then if you get sort of that big industry tailwind that we've talked about, I think a decade of 20% growth is reasonable or possible. um, And that could lead that should lead to a good investment. I mean, yeah, that, that, that valuation, what is the forward sales ratio? 10 for gross profit, 17. That's not crazy if you believe 20% growth for a decade. I mean, that you're sitting pretty there. It, well, uh, I, I always be- think in the back of my head, stop comp, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I have the same thing as you guys. Ride the industry growth wave, solidify that competitive advantage the more they grow. Um, that's really it. Uh, bear case though. What are your thoughts, Ian? My bear case is that freelance work becomes easy through other means and the platform isn't as useful as it once was, that it basically becomes the search and discovery is easy through other means. The payment transactions um, happen in other ways. And I know you're going to roll your eyes at me, but even crypto or um, other you know blockchain type technologies. Focus on OpenSea. Can, uh. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some opportunity for... Um, as that, as those transactions become less and less, or there's less and less less friction involved in those transactions, that some of the problem that Upwork is currently solving is less of a problem in the future. So it could become more decentralized. You don't need the central entity. Is that kind of the the, bear, the, Maybe. the, the big left tail raider? Yeah, that. Maybe. I'm usually doubtful on that, but in this case, it might make sense. Although, I just how think you're going to aggregate demand on both sides. Yeah, I think that's the big question is the search and discovery piece of it, because I think some of the payment uh, facilitation is more of a commodity than um, than a true kind of value add service. And so it, it'll be interesting to see if there's other the search and discovery piece of it may be what keeps Upwork useful for people. But that's just it's something to watch. OK, Ryan. Well, for me, while. Well, I do think it would be a hassle to switch for bigger co- uh, companies. The more competition that comes, the if Fiverr, I think Fiverr started recently launching an enterprise solution. Um, if yeah. if there's a lot more competition that comes in sort of this segment, it's going to create this take rate battle of, all right, well, they can do it for cheaper. Are you going to lower my cost? Um, so yeah. on and so forth. That I don't really, I, that would be the bear case for me is that, I think, uh, what about like... It's crowded. Yeah, do you think... I'm not sure there's a, that much value to this platform aside from facilitating the payments between the two. I don't think the discovery, and I'm probably blinded by my personal experience, which was you source the job somewhere else. We're a rare, we were a rare case, though. That's not a big part of the business. Maybe. They, don't, they don't give that information, though. Yeah, but... That's the payroll services, if you understand what I mean. Well, but there is also, uh, but the, you can still source a job and then get the, re- the they, that doesn't mean all the jobs are found on that platform. Sure. Yeah. Which for me, if there's big value in a platform like this, it's in discovering new gigs. Yeah. I mean, what other platforms could come and take that? The I'm facilitation? part like no no the the discovery would it be fiber i know but that's the same and i don't but know fiber is an equivalent competitor who could it take fiber and upwork's lunch linkedin big tech what, what are we thinking do you have any ideas Ian? twitter i was just going to say even some of the social platforms i think as people 
create these audiences across social platforms um, or create connections across social platforms or can show their work in a, in a centralized way, whether it's on LinkedIn through more of a resume or whether it's more of a portfolio on some of these other sites. Um, I, I think there's some ability that if people can just go find them and then you can connect, there's an easy way to connect and facilitate some sort of transaction um, that there may not need to be dedicated discovery tools for um, freelance work that it may just be like part of these, like it may be Google and Twitter and LinkedIn and things like that. YouTube. I think, so I'm not super bullish on like Upwork or Fiverr or uh, this kind of marketplace. It's a bit on, feels a bit uncertain to me, but do you guys think that if that was going to happen, it would have already happened kind of deal? Like those platforms have been there forever. Um, They're not pushing. No one is except possibly LinkedIn. I don't know much about LinkedIn, but no one is pushing for that. So it would have to just be kind of... But even if those private platforms, the one we talked about that compete directly with them, if those are growing, that's just more potential uh, sort of take rate compression. Yeah, but that's where it comes into the competitive advantage of no one can compete with the supply if those other ones have weak supply of freelancers, you know. That's a, I think that's a pretty defensible position. I think, okay. Yeah. That's the big question. I think is it has to be what, how defensible is that search and discovery and that pool of supply and things like that, rather than um, it seems like, it seems like what's prevented people from finding people on Twitter or LinkedIn or YouTube or Google or all this other type of stuff is that there hasn't been someone to facilitate the transaction. And this is just my opinion, but I think that that's going to become a less and less valuable piece of the business over time. And so they've really got to grow the value and solidify the value on their supply of people and the search and discovery ability. The supply of freelancers, right? Yep, supply of freelancers, yeah. All right, I'll hit my bear case. The only other thing I had would be right now could be possible, it's possible this is an optimal time for these companies. Um, you got you know a bunch of new business starting around the globe with kind of this whole COVID reset that a lot of people had. Um, you know, when people got the stimulus dollars, it seems like there's a lot of people that were starting their own businesses that leads to demand for freelancers, for small businesses that want to outsource some of that work. There could be a slowdown in industry growth. Again, I'm not sure. It feels uncertain to me. I don't know. I feel like, I just don't know. Okay. Something that I think about that is a potential low light, and this might be why I'll, I'll go ahead and say it now. I'm a little less interested is a lot of these operating expenses, like the marketing expenses. Oh, their marketing expenses were growing really fast compared to revenue. Those might might continue to grow. It's almost like the web, uh, the no code website builders. A lot of them, they have to constantly compete for customers um, because it's just such a competitive market. Yeah. You got, I mean, marketing expense growing faster than revenue. You have to expect that to be switched. I mean, that's just not a good sign. More or less interested in. I'm going to say neither. I'm like exactly as interested as I was before I started. It was just kind of like, there were some things I liked. There were some things that I didn't like. And um, it just kind of was, I don't know. I, it didn't make me feel anything really. <laughs> yeah. This didn't get your heart pumping in. <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite. And Ryan, you said less. I'm going to go less unless you had anything else. Well, I would just say it does feel like a quality business. I don't like the price. Yeah. And don't do relative comp to Fiverr. Yeah. Don't relative comps dumb. Um, For anyone that does that, I'm sorry. It's not smart. 
don't stop doing it. Um, relative valuation. Relative valuation. Yeah. Don't do it. It's just about what you're going to earn. Uh, I don't think the valuation is crazy, but it's not a good price for what I would, I'd probably put Fiverr in the lead, but again, I'm a little bit uncertain about who's the winner here. I just don't know. That's why I'm less interested. Um, I don't have a clear insight into what the market, what this industry is going to be like. If some other people do, then that's great. If you're really bullish on this stuff, honestly, basket approach could be good here. Obviously, it's not investment advice. Basket approach seems could be smart here. Uh, I was thinking about that. Yeah, that's probably good. Yeah. All right. Stock for next week. Ryan, what do you got for us? Actually, two weeks from now. Stock for two weeks from now. We're growth hacking. We're going SoFi Technologies. So uh, (laughs) thank you to every comment that says SoFi next. Please and thank you. All right. Everyone wants us to do that one. So hopefully it uh, gets a decent. Crowd. I'm going to tell you, going in knowing that they have a stadium rights on the most expensive stadium in the world, uh, or probably top five or something like that, makes me very bearish. Well, so, we're from Seattle, where the stadium keeps getting renamed over and over. Over bankrupt and, so and fraudulent companies. Yeah. That oh, T-Mobile, T-Mobile, like, this is legit. But well, it's been the same exact company. They just keep rebranding, which is even a bigger low light. Oh well, stadium <laughs> rights. I mean, stadium rights in general have basically the track, the track, the base it's a jinx. rate. It's like the, the Madden curse. Yes, the base rate of stadium rights uh, forward returns is pretty low. Uh, but SoFi, uh, hopefully they Could can be an uh, anomaly. Hopefully, hopefully they can uh, convince us otherwise. Uh, but either way, should be a fun one. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 